You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at episode number, I don't know, four, is it? Of, five. Uh, five. Episode five of Bugs, entitled Shotgun Wedding. The episode opens with a highly implausible science fiction concept, a political party that believes in honesty and stands against corruption. We are introduced to Alberto and Anna, the rising stars and media darlings of the Italian Liberta Party, a party that stands to win the Italian elections in just a few days. As always, the free press dig deep for the hard-hitting questions like, when are you two lovebirds getting married? Anna playfully avoids answering the question by deflecting it with another. Why is it that the more we deny that we're a couple, the more you press believe that we are? Meanwhile, an assassin is planting a bomb in Anna's hotel room. He's interrupted by security forces, but he kills them. He escapes and reports back to Mackenzie, his contact person. Meanwhile, team bugs are called in by William Swift, a laser logo maker. He thinks he's being bugged. Team bugs thinks he's lying to them. Beckett spots someone monitoring the place and trails them back to their base. He's caught. But it turns out they're the good guys, the security forces protecting Anna. They let him go. Roz and Ed, however, not believing Swift, bug his office and find out he's meeting a woman. The assassin, Starkey, finds that out too and gets there first. He plants a bomb under the only park bench in the whole place. Ed fails to take the assassin down, but Roz does manage to save the intended victims' lives. For that, they expect the truth. Okay, here it is. Swift and Anna are in love and going to get married someday. But the press are so in love with the idea of Anna and Alberto being in love, they are waiting until after the election before this info comes out, because they are running on a platform of honesty. The people bankrolling the killing give Starkey one more chance. Little do they know that Team Bugs have set them up in a trap involving lasers. The decoy works, but before Ed can take Starkey down, the real security forces take Starkey down. Hard. Like multiple gunshots to the body hard. Ed stumbles across the killer's getaway ride and bluffs his way into it by pretending to be Starkey. Ed doesn't know that the assassin's employer was planning on killing him. The person calling the hit is, of course, Alberto, who wants to ride into office on a tide of sympathy. He is, of course, thoroughly corrupt and knows Anna would eventually find out. This is why he has cultivated the image that they are lovers. Ed manages to talk his way out of death just as Anna and Swift pull one more fast one on everyone. They're getting married in the morning in a secret ceremony. Not entirely secret, they want Alberto there, but they neglect to tell Team Bugs. Ed is sent in to kill Anna, and as insurance, he's wired up to a bomb vest that can be remote detonated, and also detonates if he tries to take it off, and he's given a special wrist bomb that goes off in 15 minutes anyway. 
The sniper rifle also has a camera on it, so they can make sure he's really aiming at his intended victim. Beck and Ross track him to the registrar's office, where, after a bit of struggle, Beckett murders Mackenzie and Ed murders Alberto. The wedding concludes with two bodies lying on the floor. It's a happy ending for everyone. <laughs> the end. Okay, uh... Shotgun wedding, what'd you think? I... Yeah, um... <laughs> I guess I'm, en- I'm still enjoying the chemistry of the team, which seems to actually be improving as we go through these episodes. Um, and it, it is it is quite it is quite a fun episode, but it did feel like it had been stretched a little bit um, with the, the jeopardy for. Now we 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 had episode two. It was Ed who was in mortal peril, and they had to rescue him. Episode three, it was Ross who was in mortal peril, and they had to rescue her. Episode four, it was Beckett in mortal peril, and they had to rescue him. So it must be back to Ed's turn. So well, it got rotation, yeah. Exactly. So they've they've um, they've put him in an explosive vest. Um, that, uh, they did went a little overkill on that, yeah. Uh, the problem with it is, it's. I mean, it's quite an interesting idea in a sense that that um, he the whole the whole setup that that, that it can be remote detonated. And that they can see what he is sighting with the gun, and so they'll be able to tell if he doesn't do what he has to do. So he's put in a moral position where he has to choose between his own life and the, the life of the victim. Uh, the problem is that isn't really the kind of moral dilemma that this sort of schlocky Saturday night TV is made to deal with. And so the actual the actual premise doesn't really quite fit. And more importantly, it doesn't really seem a terribly sensible way for, 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 the, for the assassins to pursue their goals. I mean, yeah. Alberto, Alberto has hired Mackenzie to, to do the hit. Mackenzie has, apparently has not seen Starkey. So there, yeah. is, this, there is this kind of one-step um, removed, you get the sense that Mackenzie is therefore some sort of broker who is he's hired in Starkey because Starkey's supposed to be quite capable at doing this kind of thing but when he proves not to be you would have expected him to just go for someone else Yep. and even if it did transpire that okay it was kind of convenient to get Starkey to do the job because it seemed likely he might actually be able to do it this time would you really have all of the setup to kind of put, you know, put someone in the explosive vest and have the the video feed gun and all the rest of it? Um, Would you have all that stuff ready to go? Well, when your when your kind of general modus operandi is just hire someone at completely arm's length. I mean, it's the very opposite. What what he's doing there in that scene with Starkey is absolutely micromanaging him. But mm-hmm. it's the very opposite of how we've seen him operate in the rest of the episode, which is basically just set a goal, kill this woman, and report back when it's done. Yeah, it's more of a Moriarty kind of uh, approach. Yes. Uh, to uh, to getting the job done. Now, are we all right? To sort of to the credit of Mackenzie, sort of to the credit of. Mackenzie. When Ed got in the car and was headed back to meet up with the boss, and and we know that they've never 
met that Starkey and Mackenzie have never met. So we know that. But the second, and we also know that basically Ed and Starkey have never really met. They've tussled, but that's all they've done. They've never had a conversation with one another. And when he got in the car, my exact words, well, that's not going to work. Your fair dinkum Australian accent's going to give you why did. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that is He's a pity exactly... he doesn't have the facility for accents that you do, really, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, I thought, and even if he did, you know, even if he did, what accent would he put on? I, I'm, I'm not so good that I could tell you what part of England Starkey's accent, and uh, air, good was in air quotes there, uh, what part of England uh, Starkey was from. It, it just didn't get enough speaking from him for me to go, oh, that's Cockney or that's the North. Or, But even there, there are so many regional dialects that, that an English person would recognize that I would not, nor would an Australian probably. So, you know, what, what would he put on? Just sort of a generic West End kind of thing or something, or East End or... I guess it's West End. Um, but, yeah. So, when Mackenzie spots that immediately, he he's in, you know, he knows it's not him. So, the question is, did he always know it was not him and knew that Ed was not him when he wired him up in the vest? I mean, here's a guy volunteering to do the killing. So, okay. Uh, you claim to be Starkey. Now, I'm going to micromanage. So, I'm wondering if that's why they went to that it could be, but it still it still seems like an odd choice. Yes, that you're that you're you're going to switch into that. that in, in other words, you're going to take someone who is an unknown quantity, who could well not want to do this job, and force them yep. into doing it and micromanage doing them. Rather Much easier than just to kill him. Picking up picking up the phone and calling one of the other people who you presumably have in your Rolodex to be able to. <laughs> I was going to try to fit the word Rolodex in there. <laughs> I thought a, I, I thought that might be a bit American, but um, yeah, Filofax. Uh, Filofax. Well, well, either way, Rolodex, Filofax. It's it's all both obsolete. Is the uh, people don't call it that still, do they? I no no no. But, no okay, but good. This is but, this is 1995. I know, but I, my getting at is sometimes uh, sometimes a word that no longer has its meaning tends to carry forward to the new technology. So it's possible people call their address book on their phone their Filofax. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> someone should do an, some, someone should do a, a contact app called your Filofax. <laughs> so, yeah, I... Mm, yeah. Uh, it, it it was kind of... Well, let me say, you, you say that the chemistry is... Um, improving and i'm not going to say that the chemistry wasn't improving but in a way i felt like this episode might have been thrown back a couple uh episodes because we get that whole bit about ed you're not going to go on this you're uh not trained in undercover operations like i am you don't know what you're doing um it almost felt earlier days in their relationship because haven't we seen ed doing this anyway have we i I don't well. I mean, not necessarily undercover as an assassin, but that's not what he was. That's not what Beckett was talking about. Beckett was talking about Ed being there to uh, be at the stadium and capture the bad guy, as opposed to 
pretending to be undercover as the assassin kind of thing. And I thought that, that just feels like the kind of stuff Ed's been doing uh, all along, the daring do. So it just seemed odd. Well, the daring do, yeah, the the the, the kind of the fancy flying and the muscle stuff, yes. But, well, I wasn't sure what he was supposed to be doing that was so secret agent at the stadium, right? I, I, they guess, had the choice. I guess. One I guess the yeah. I guess the point was that he was he was setting he was setting something up that was a very kind of carefully carefully calibrated ambush, in effect. And yeah, and and Beckett seemed to have set that up beforehand any way so I, I don't know it just it just the, the that whole bit of dialogue about him not being ready for this just seemed a little out of place but I, I was I was impressed at the beginning of the episode this is a totally trivial thing I was impressed at the beginning of the episode uh, another science fiction thing I, I totally didn't expect there to be like a decent looking train in the UK um, well <laughs> I know that was the it's, Eurostar. It's a class three, class three seven three. It's Japanese Shinkansen style, or it looks like one. It's I I think it might be French designed because I guess the front they were has used, to be pretty. They were used in France for a long time before. This is a this is a. I mean, effectively, it's TGV Mark Four. So it's a, it's an evolution of the TGV, which was the, the kind of landmark, what, the, the globally recognised um, for, for in terms of high speed trains. Um, French. Tra- I just always assumed that they were French. Yeah, I mean, they I, might not I, have been built there, but it's just it's the French are quite. They like producing their own stuff. That's true. That's true. In fact, I, I know... Um, Certainly to eat and drink, but I imagine it has <laughs> trains as well. No, no I, I do know that they make trains. I mean, because, so for example, in Taipei, uh, they actually have two competing, they're not competing, they're all part of the same system, but they their initial subway systems were French in design. And then for political reasons, they switched to Japanese ones, uh, which are incompatible. Tracks are incompatible, stations are incompatible, <laughs> Um, so, I mean, they have at least that kind of level of industry, but I don't know. I saw the train and it, it looks so much classically like a Shinkansen high-speed train, but no, I think, as I, I was going to say, I mean, the wind tunnel says it's going to have to look that way anyway in the front. There's not much you can do with it if you've got to get it up to speed, so it's got to be pretty pointy and... Style, but anyway, <clears throat> I just thought I'd take a dig at British Rail or or whatever passes for British Rail these days, <laughs> or all the various different British Rails or, or whatever this. The assassin Starkey places a bomb in Anna's room. He he trips an alarm. The security guards run in. He then rolls out of the bed, murders them both, and gets away. There is actually no evidence that the good guys found the bomb <laughs> that he planted. And I was I was kind of worried because of the way it was staged. You know, nobody knows he planted a bomb under that bed. Um, <clears throat> but they had the line that says this was going to be Anna's room. 
So I'm assuming that the security guys moved her to a different room for safety. But I thought that was going to be a huge plot hole at the beginning of this story. I also thought that his insistence on using bombs was really, uh, I don't know, stupid, wasn't it? I mean, in the hotel room, okay, fine. She gets to the room, the room blows up, she's dead. Okay, fine. At the park bench, he places a bomb under the obviously not actually part of the commons. I guess it was a common, is that it was? Bench that's in the middle of everything that clearly there would never be a bench there. Or if there were, there would be more than one bench there. Absolutely in the middle of the open, and then... And then, to make sure that he gets the job done right, he takes up a sniper's position overlooking the bench and waits there to detonate the bomb. This is the time to use a sniper's rifle. Well, unless you can't. But then we see that he has no problem getting a sniper. Which is the strange assumption that he... That, to me, the plot hole is the assumption that he would then switch to using a rifle because... If you're well, a bomber, but Ed and Ed and Beckett made sure there was no way they could place a bomb. It has to be a sniper. That's the only way they're going to kill somebody here. I didn't understand that part either. No, exactly. So, okay, and 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 the, the fact that he is an assassin who uses bombs does not mm-hmm. mean that he's good at shooting. Correct. It suggests, but since that maybe we know he isn't, <laughs> or that he, you know, I mean. I'm not saying that some people aren't multi-talented. He might be good at explosives and have an excellent aim with the rifle. But well, he he did hit the laser target dead on explosives. So, but it it did seem like an odd it did seem like an odd way to go about killing somebody with a high vantage point line of sight with absolutely no guarantee that they were going to sit in that bench. Despite the fact that it was the only bench anywhere for anyone to sit on, I'm not sure I would sit on that bench. If I were in that park, I'd be more inclined to sit on all of those steps somewhere, off to the side. It was certainly, yes, a bit of a long shot. Yeah, Uh, but it wouldn't have been if he'd had a sniper rifle, because it wouldn't have mattered where they sat in that area. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't have mattered where they sat. The point is, if he can't shoot, it wouldn't matter where where they sat, because he wouldn't have been able to hit them. So right. obviously, if 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 all if all you've got is explosives, then you're going to try and use the explosives. I think right. the slightly strange thing is that he thinks he has enough information from that phone call to be able to guarantee that he's going to be able to place the explosives where she is going to sit. So I think there's that too. That that point is is entirely valid, but I don't see why. Anyone should expect that an assassin who is skilled in using explosives would automatically be skilled in using a sniper rifle. I I was not bothered by it. I mean, I was bothered by it because it seemed so unlikely that you could guarantee that they would go sit on that bench. I mean, that that part definitely bothers. No, the part that the, the reason that it then bothered me was because he did switch to a sniper rifle for the next one. And he did seem reasonably yeah. competent with it. So, that, but that was the point at which I then it's I, retroactively I, you're like, oh, yeah. But it didn't. It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me in the slightest that he was using explosives rather than a rifle when I thought explosives were his thing. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Just it, it wasn't until afterwards that it, then that began to niggle. And that's one of those pieces. They put the piece in the puzzle, and you're like, wait, then why didn't he... Um, but anyway, that was, that was uh, one. So Beckett gets caught by... Is that Hive? I don't think it's Hive, but obviously it's part of the same professional network, shall we say. I mean, they, they were obviously colleagues of some sort. Right. They knew Beckett. And Beckett knew them. And Beckett knew them by name. It just, they never called them by name. And the character that he met, Wentz, was not, as far as my notes go, one of the characters that we saw in the Hive no. earlier. They did refer to them as SSD, I believe, but I don't know if that's a generic term or a specific term. It's not a term I've registered before. Okay. I'm not even sure what it was supposed to be. Special security detail? SSD? Yeah. It just... They, were, they, were, they used those initials twice during the episode. Not Beckett. Well, I think Ed did. I think Ed used it at the end. You know, SSD shooting at somebody. I think they got a bystander or something like that. But did it seem remotely plausible that Beckett would be investigating somebody that's under their protection? That part plausible, yes, I'm saying that then Beckett would break into their base of operations, that they would capture him, and that they would sit down and they'd say, all right, Beckett, you're going to tell us. And say, nah, you're, you're not going to do anything. Can I go? Yeah, all right, fine, leave. That, that kind of threw me a little bit. Did they have a ulterior motive to keeping him on the job? I don't know. Now, if he'd been, I don't know, like I say, he's obviously a former colleague in some way, shape, or form with these people. So they must have the measure of Beckett. So they think he's a good guy and he's not causing problems. But, I mean, if they're an organization that ferrets out bugs and these guys are bugging them, you would think that they would give them a little bit more of a dressing down or I don't know this but is I guess the point, the, point or... Beckett, the point Beckett is making is that he's not going to be intimidated so I guess if they if they recognize that there's not much point in them giving him a dressing down mm, maybe but 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 well, obviously now we yeah they definitely know him and that does kind of play into something we had mentioned in one of the earlier ones we don't know what is their interaction with authorities is you know what kind of connections they have does this count as yeah. a connection this is this counts I as all right fine you, you can go do what you want no no these, these these are not these are not people who owe any favors these are not people you call on in that sense they are they're people that beckett comes up against in this the point about that scene i think is that it is not exactly a showdown but they 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 face off because Wentz wants Beckett to to back off, and Beckett knows that he's not he hasn't got any leverage to make him back off essentially. So it's a stalemate. Hmm. How early in the episode did you know Alberto was the bad guy? Probably not. I mean the the scene the scene in which you get the reveal that he is the bad guy. Hmm. 
I think from I, the from the very beginning of that scene, I knew that it was going to reveal to him. I'm not sure I had an inkling before that. It was just something about the way that scene was staged that tipped me off. Mm, okay. I had my suspicions. I think when he was... There's a scene where he helps Anna leave and then immediately gets on the phone. But we don't oh, hear yeah. the phone call. And then there's also the oh, scene yes, where he's yes. talking to her about how... That's true, I did have a... We want I, to keep a secret about this, us not being lovers until after the election. And at that point, I'm like, oh, this is this is killer and ride on wave of sympathy, isn't it? Yeah, I bet that's what it is. <laughs> and, you know, let's face it. They didn't bring anyone else along from Italy, right? So the only people that, that have a horse in this race are Anna and Alberto and maybe the maid, but, you know. <laughs> that seems highly unlikely. So because of the structure of the story of them being out of Italy, there's no reason for anybody that we meet along the way to be the bad guy except for Alberto. And I I, I was not too surprised when they actually did the full reveal and you go, Yeah, yeah, okay, that was that was pretty pretty obvious structure. Let let's talk about our our team's morality in this story we can start with bugging your own client both Roz and ed well they right discuss, or wrong? They, oh i i i think it's right you never trust the client but um they both they discuss the fact that it is not you know the bit the business ethics that suggest that one oughtn't before, before i mean before ed, they both independently yeah, ed, did it yeah well I mean, when Roz reveals what she's done to Ed, Ed is, Ed is shocked. Shocked, I say. Roz doesn't sort of say, "Oh, don't be daft. It's no, you know, it's no big deal." She she justifies it in terms of how suspicious he's made her. So I think I think there is a, an indication that they both feel that it is something they shouldn't do, but did nonetheless. Yeah, but did nonetheless. Yeah. I don't. I don't have a particular problem with it because it clearly, the the client was untrustworthy in that respect. Even if overall he turns out to be a good guy, I assume that the client is still paying them, though. Yes, but so what? Well, <laughs> that's a that's a, a an interesting. I mean, there's no indication. He's not paying them not to bug him. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. He's, he's Again, not paying it, it, them it, not to bug him. It, come, um, it, come, it comes back to that to that standard kind of private eye thing of of you know it, it's a it's a classic trope in those stories for the client to say you do everything that I tell you to do, and the private eye says no I've I've been hired to do this job but the way I do it that's down to me. So I think the way I feel about what Ros and Ed do here is that they they are not employees of this part. They do not have to obey whatever you know whatever he says. It's not it's not part of their the conditions of employment because they are they are freelancing. They've been hired to do a job, but that's all. He doesn't own them. And by their own admission, they also seemed. All right, so the guy says, I think we're being bugged. 
he makes laser logos. Ed, no. Beckett points out that that's kind of weird. That that bugging your conversations wouldn't be very useful with regards to industrial espionage. So they have grounds for believing that he's withholding information from them. Got that. Not not denying that in any way, shape, or form. Because it makes more sense to try to visually figure out what's going on or to break into their computers or anything like that. Um, and he does amend his his thing to say basically find them bugs or whatever kind of surveillance. Um, and and bugging could be a generic term uh, in the 1990s. Um, but when Roz and Ed put the surveillance on him, the job they've been given is to find out if he's being surveilled, which he is, and Ed and Beckett already knows that and told them that because they saw the van and he went off on it. So he's not paranoid. It is happening. Their job is to stop that. But it seems pretty clear to me. But it seems pretty clear to me that both of them bugged him, not in furtherance of that, but out of curiosity as to what he's holding back. And I, no, I think I think I think it's reasonable to say that without knowing what without knowing what he's up to, you can't work out who might be interested in surveilling him, and therefore you need to find out more about him in order to find out, you know, why wh- why would he have enemies? Why you know? And he, I guess bugging bound people bound wasn't illegal back then. <laughs> probably wasn't illegal at that point in time I, well no i think either. it's i think it's pretty clear that the that our protagonists in this do not have a big problem with breaking the law right um, it's not so it's let's... not like what's the sherlock holmes story where he he agonizes over breaking the law before breaking the law uh oh i forget the name but anyway there is as, as I'm sure you know, there is a Sherlock Holmes story where I don't, the, I don't fact, the, the fact the fact that he is going to break the law in the course of investigation is quite an issue that you know is discussed at, at some length. It just never seems to come up in Bugs. It's just huh. if it is expedient, we will do it. The only thing I can remember from Sherlock Holmes is where he had a conversation with somebody who told him about a. Uh, a crime and he basically said you know I'm not an official agent of the law I don't think what you did was morally wrong so get out of here but um, or wasn't justifiable so not my job to bring you in go away um, it's just the intellectual problem that got him but, but I don't remember when where he actually worried about breaking the law so many few, so few times that he actually went out and did something that so, all right, then then let's go and maybe this is the direct. Charles Augustus Milverton. Charles Augustus Milverton, is that the name of a story? I think that's the name of the story. Yeah. Wow, I don't remember that name of that story either. I'm pretty sure that is the name of the story. Huh. Well, now you've huh. made me doubt it. <laughs> it's it, it's certainly it's possible. Um, yeah, no, the adventure of Charles Augustus Milverton. Huh. Doesn't doesn't ring a bell. I wonder if that's well, it's been a long time. 
Milverton is a black time. Milverton is a blackmailer, and and um, in the course of the investigation, Holmes, I think he I think he breaks in in order mm. to find the book or steal the book or something. I, I need I need to reread the story. My my point anyway is that the fact that there are there are there are some heroes in literature and popular popular um, culture who part of it's part of their makeup that they are law abiding mm-hmm. not not just that they are not just that they are agents of the law in some way i mean obviously sherlock holmes is not a, a policeman but um and and bugs are, are well even beckett is no longer employed by the government so um in you know in that sense it's not that they are required to be um law abiding more than any other citizen would be but it's the it just... fact that they are heroes it is the fact that they that we they are people we look up to whereas in other cases in other genres it's it's really not so important it it, it does it does feel to me like they're crossing a line there a little bit on this one it just it just triggered and and the only thing that I think the only thing in its defense in the episode to me is that going back to the 90s the notion of if if, if this were ta- hacking into their computer if she hacked into his computer and got all his files out of it they would pass that off because people still did not take computer crime seriously oh that's just a bit of fun (laughs) those kids you know kind of thing and but bugging is is, was was you know it just it just felt a little out of touch to me anyway but and the fact that they both did it um it's 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 almost like well no this is definitely the right thing we're supposed to do because we both independently arrived at it It wasn't even like one of them thought and the other one said ooh because Ed does Ed did not put a bug in there your issue with this is that it's the client that they're bugging not that they are bugging someone because they are frequently bugging people so it's specifically the business ethics of it right it is it is actually yeah not it is kind of that Right, if we want to worry about the legality about it, we'll talk about the murders at the end. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it, it feels like not only have they broken, that they've broken the law, but we know they broke, break the law because they're doing it on the side of right and right, but, but they're not law enforcement. Their job is on the behalf of the client because they're independent contractors and they are definitely just turning right around and going, well, I'm going to take this guy's money and I'm going to do exactly what he's paying me to not have done to him. <laughs> like yes, Maybe they're not going to use it for the same purposes, but yeah. That, 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 that from a, from a, a business perspective, it, that could be seen as being unwise because... It might well, you're definitely people gonna, be unwilling to hire them for those reasons. That's you're not going to get a, you're not gonna get a five moral, star actually. on Yelp that way, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, it's just it is kind of well, but it's also the fluidity of their ethics there. It's like yeah, we don't we don't have 
stop there. And Ed's protest is nothing more than a shallow commentary because he did it himself. He's he's literally joking with her. But it, he's just it, giving her a hard time because <laughs> I can't. We both know it's wrong, <laughs> but we did it anyway. It's, it's classic virtue ethics. It is, in a way, I mean, I say that, you know, that... The, the, you've got the law and order genre where you, where you know the, the home stories, but really any any kind of detective or police series, and the the whole point is that our heroes are upholding the law because it's a it, it represents an ethical framework. Whereas if you take something like a western, the point is that our heroes are good, so what they do is good. Mm-hmm. And they're operating in a much more lawless environment. So yeah, so what we what, what we've got here is much closer to that uh, that notion in the Western of um, virtue ethics and operating in a in a relatively lawless environment, because as you say, there is um, I I don't know what the legal position is around things like bugging and computer hacking in 1995. But as you say, there have been a lot more laws passed since then, so they're in. So, they, so they are operating in a in a in a sort of lawless environment, and are and and we as the audience are expected to approve of what they do because they are our heroes, and therefore their actions must be good by virtue of that. And I, I don't have. I generally don't have a problem with that. One of my absolute favorite fictional characters is a saint, who who is predicated entirely on meeting out justice to his own specifications and you know making a profit while doing it um off of the off of as he puts them the godless but i i don't know something about that particular thing tweaked me even in this even knowing that these are the good guys and whatever they're doing is good something about it just made me go and the other and so we'll just move on to the other one the other one was beckett fighting with Mackenzie, that fight ended with Beckett intentionally put, lifting him up and throwing him off the banister to his death. Not, not a struggle where he accidentally pushed him over or the other guy was trying to push him over and he moved out of the way or you know he punched him unconscious or anything like that. He eventually, in that fight, just got under the guy's legs and lifted him up and threw him over the banister. That's... That one it could be the way that they directed the fight, that they could have done that a little bit different, but that seemed over the line. And this the bad guy. He needed to die. I'm not, I'm not saying that that isn't how that goes in this kind of story, but at the same time, it did feel very much like he was... Uh, he, he, he deliberately did that. Now, the other part is, I'm not sure I was course, paying enough attention, because I... I'm not sure I did get that. Oh, it, it sure looked like it to me. I mean, I didn't run back and, and play it back again, but eventually at some point he picked him up and heaved him over the edge. And it wasn't just, oh, I accidentally pushed you over. No, he, he lifted him over the edge. So it, it's, that is a, definitely an act of I'm ending this fight this way. Um, but Mackenzie's Ed, still armed. Well, they were punching it. I could be. I don't Mackenzie's know. Was he still armed at that point? Yeah, because, yeah, because I, I, I think, I think 
I don't know whether he's still got a gun when he goes over to Bannisters, but there's 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 definitely he he's he's holding a gun and Beckett is grabbing hold of his wrist and trying to punch him at the same time. So they're they're not it's it's not just a, a fist fight. That's the point. Beckett is in danger as soon as he lets go of the man, unless he can unless he can debilitate him somehow. Okay, Ed, this one's even weirder. When he is holding the sniper rifle, when they are trying to get him to shoot Anna, he gives all the world's appearances of being incompetent with a sniper rifle. The acting that he's doing there, like the way he's not wanting to hold the gun and the way he's not wanting to do anything. That makes it look like Ed barely knows one end of a gun from another. And it certainly makes it like, oh my God, I can't shoot anybody. I'm just, I'm not, you know. But then at the end, he just pops up and puts a bullet in Alberto uh, at the risk of his own life because he's still got the bomb attached to him. But, uh, it, it's like, huh, I didn't think he had that in him. I'll tell you how I read that. I, be, be, because, I mean, we've seen Ed using a gun before. Well, I read a pistol it. in the helicopter, yeah. Well, yeah, all right. I mean, we don't know how, we don't know how, he, how good he is as a marksman, which is obviously the key mm-hmm. thing when you're dealing with someone who is holding a hostage at close quarters. Yeah. But the the feeling I got when he was holding the gun before that, and as you said, he looked very uncomfortable holding it, was that he didn't want to hold it. He didn't want to pick it up and hold it in a usual kind of marksman's grip, even though he might be familiar with it, because he didn't he didn't want to be in that situation. He was just, he was he was uncomfortable with the whole idea of sighting it at Anna, essentially. It's possible. Uh, I it did cross my mind that way. It just seemed like I don't know. It, it seemed like there was a point there where he had to put on the show for the people watching the gun. It, it still comes down to having to pull the trigger is is a different is a different thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I, and I they get couldn't, that, but I it was just it, the way I read it. I, I I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it it seemed to me like it was the whole thing. Well, it's another it's another one of those ones where it's it just like the the bomb and then the sniper rifle. It's like here Ed it when you first see it, when I first saw it, it's like Ed doesn't know one end of a rifle from another. And 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 yes, he doesn't want to be in that situation. Obviously, he doesn't want to be in that situation. He's the good guy. He doesn't want to have to murder somebody to save his own life, and presumably he wouldn't murder somebody to save his own life. Uh, for two reasons. First is, he would murder somebody because it's the wrong thing to do. And second, because they're going to blow him up anyway. <laughs> right? I mean, they're, yes. they're not going to let him walk out of there. They're not going to disable that bomb. That 15-minute bomb's going off and he's dead. Yes. So there's nothing uh, nothing he can do there. But then, once at the end, he sights up and he does a very expert shot taking Alberto out. Then you go, well, no way. He... He is competent with a sniper rifle. This feels like it should have been played differently earlier. And and again, this could all come down to the direction, right? The bit the bit with Beckett throwing him throwing him over, 
the the bit with the way Ed takes him out at the end. Um, but both, I, I think both of those would actually get you in trouble with the law if there were any law in this show. <laughs> I, I do not think that a private citizen is allowed to murder somebody uh, even to save someone else's life. I think Beckett would be self-defense. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, these whole self-defense things can be really... You know, it, it, it it's a question of showing using... What's the term? Uh, justifiable force. Yeah. I think that's the term. Yeah. And so, you know, somebody's attacking you, you shoot them... Uh, that's okay. Somebody's attacking him and they turn around and you shoot them in the back. That's not okay. Um, because you were, your life was not an imminent threat at that moment kind of thing. It, it, it felt like that when they were fighting to me at, at some point when he finally flipped him over the edge, it just struck me as like, I think, I think Beckett's going to claim that he was in imminent danger, but yeah, no, I would be very surprised if anyone would attempt to prosecute where someone where someone who was unarmed had knocked someone else over a balcony who was carrying a weapon i'm going to have I to just think that it, would, it would make it because i think it, he'd it, lost the weapon already but i i'm not sure i i thought they were just in a full on man to man beating each other up fight at that point but no what have you got um i guess one of the things that interests me is where the science fiction is in this one and i I because it's it's very nineteen ninety five in a number of ways, um, particularly the phones and I mean we've got a, the opening with the Eurostar. Got to remember that the channel was only a year old, if that, at the time this episode was broadcast. So that would have been pretty cutting edge. But in terms of what would actually have been futuristic, I'm thinking it's the hologram stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, stuff we've seen already, like the card key that they could just make work on any card key. And uh, let's see, we had the remote yeah, control yeah. camera controller. Oh, the RT-73. Yeah. I, yes, I like that one. That that would be a useful item uh, for burglaring with those types of um, cameras around. Um, but yeah, the, the, the laser, the laser logos, interesting idea. That's a thing. Um, or laser program shows. Um, I'm I'm not sure how convinced I was that Ros would actually be able to do purely through software yeah. adjustments what this guy had been trying for months and months to do, presumably by actually working on the hardware as well. So that seemed a little bit far-fetched. I, I was going to comment about that scene. I mean, we know Ros is good. But that seemed a little magical. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, you've accomplished yeah. more. Now, if the doctor had sat down and done that, that would be different. But Well, he wouldn't, but, he wouldn't have sat down and done that. He would have used a sonic screwdriver. Well, he wouldn't in modern, modern who, but in, in old who? In old who? He, he might have. A uh, robot. He typed the computer to stop it from blowing up the world very fast. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He could have sonic that. Matt Smith would have sonicked it. There we go. Problem solved. But yeah, it's like, wow, you've done more than an hour than I've been able to accomplish in 
the whole 30 years of my career, whatever length of time it was that he, he said well, it I was. Think, I think it was certainly a number of months. Yeah, it was it was something. I, I don't remember what it was, but it was sort of like, yeah, I mean, okay, Roz is good, but really she'd have to learn not, you know, whatever the programming language is, fine. Let's say well, no, she I, already I, knows it, but... You know, all I'm not. Of the, I'm the, not. I'm not querying her her ability to optimize the software very fast. It just seemed to me that something like that that re, that relied heavily on the hardware as well as the software. Um, yeah. That you could that you could just make that much progress only from one side of it. But it's a, yeah, well, it's a minor quibble. It did. It did cross my mind. Uh, it crossed my mind as we were watching it. I, it's like okay, I, Ross has superpowers. I did. I, I will admit I was surprised, given given that the, the, the hologram stuff seems to be the kind of main main bit of kind of sci-fi in this, and it you know it serves a a reasonably nice purpose in terms of um, trying to catch Starkey, but very but it small would have been, part of the show. It would have been vastly vastly more effective in story terms had it been the way in which Ed could appear to shoot Anna to the people watching down the video site of his gun in order to avoid him being blown up at the end. Yep. And so yep. I, did, I did think that we were going to see... I, I made a note in my notes saying, I bet we're going to see the hologram again. And then we didn't. Well, we didn't. That's right. It was, it was a trivial part of a, of a decoy action in the middle of the show. Yeah. It, it was it was very strangely placed. And and you know, even if it wasn't the lasers, you'd think that there would be a high-tech way out of Ed's uh gun thing or the bombs or or any of that. That would have been the right place for them to have a high-tech answer. <laughs> but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. And that was kind of weird. Um or, or maybe they just missed out on understanding what they should have done with these people. How these people are supposed to solve the cases, right? What differentiates them from Sam Spade or any other organization like that? It's their technology. That's, that's what they are. Yes. But, but no, doesn't, it doesn't play out that way. So, yeah, that's kind of weird. Um. I, I will just say that the that the registrar has an incredible presence of mind to be able to complete the wedding with two dead bodies and probably blood spattered all over the place. Uh, <laughs> at the I don't end know about, of that, I don't know about presence of mind, but the slightly sarcastic tone didn't seem entirely appropriate. <laughs> if I might finish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> How rude to get shot in front of me in the middle of a service. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was definitely kind of like, okay, we're we're not we're not in a real world here. <laughs> That's, for sure. That's for sure. No no no, it is it's 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 the kind of Avengers jokiness, isn't it? Where um which they yeah, they but, you know, they, they quip at a murder scene, it's that it's that kind of. I don't expect that from a third party character, though. No, that's true. That is that is particularly that, strange. Yeah that that was the bit that was like really. Not, I, I'm not surprised that. Not it's not just that she's a third party character. It's the fact that she is 
a minor character who has just been introduced and whose character whose character traits you have no idea about. I, I would not expect people being murdered in front of her would be part of her daily job. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Even if she did or, funerals, yeah. you'd think the people would already be dead by the time she got called in. At the, yeah, Ed, Ed put a bullet in Alberto's head. That would not be pretty right there. With the, yeah, so the fact that the judge, I, I'm not even sure what job that person holds in the UK. It would probably, it would be, be a, a judge, I think, here in the United Registrar, is that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a whistle and, and I guess, then, I guess you know, it will be a, a wedding that, I mean, everyone remembers their wedding, don't they? So it's a dark thing for me to say. It's a wedding they're going to remember. But I think it will be. I, I suspect it will be. Uh, and they may even have... Uh, <laughs> they've got video of it from Ed's camera. <laughs> I hope that was running video. <laughs> what, a, what a great thing... What a great thing not to do. You should definitely not be videotaping the camera you're using to murder someone. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it, it, probably was, it was recording. It was, no, it probably it was wasn't. streaming it live to his... He had a receiver. Yeah. So it had some kind of radio link, I think. I, I do appreciate the fact that they made the point of saying, you know, you, we're looking at all these... <laughs> we're looking for all these bugs, but you know what? You probably should be worried about the fact that you're making the call on your cell phones. Yes. It's like... Oh, I see. It's like, you figured because that out, is it? In 1995 yeah. as well, they would all have been analog cell phones, presumably. Yeah. yeah. So it would have been ridiculously insecure. Yes. So that was about... um, speaking of the jokiness, uh, once again, I feel that the end joke fell flat. Yeah, they really haven't got the hang of that still. No, they have not. Those are some of the worst I've ever seen. And they don't do a freeze frame. <laughs> you mean like police police squad style? Yeah, because you know that is that is the trope that you do the joke and then freeze frame on everyone's expression, and they don't do that. And I think these jokes. I'm not saying they'd be better, but it actually might work better if you did not let there be anything that happens after he says that, because <clears throat> you you just don't. It's just it just end it. Go roll. Roll credits before the audience even gets a chance to register that. I think they should just have them exit on a different form of transport each week. But hey, hey. <laughs> a different form of electronic uh, bug device that they're using for something. Like a special toaster or <laughs> that they've developed, right? Some sort of cool, far-out technology that, that they're implementing around the office. It's totally impractical. Well, I certainly think a toaster as transport sounds fairly impractical big enough toaster it depends on how big you like your bread but you know what i mean so in other words they they just have a steed and mrs peel had the car transport thing just something that fits with the theme of this show that they go with to end it each time instead of these either awful or just cruel or thoughtless pranks well in this case sexist because the, the the point about the joke, right, is it's funny because Roz can't sew and Ed can sew. But Roz is a woman and Ed's a man. But the joke is two Eds are better than one. 
Yes. I'm, <laughs> I mean, that was that, a joke I meant. It fell flat. Yeah. The whole thing about the sexism. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the bit about the sexism and the, the, the sewing and whatnot is, yeah. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to knock Craig McLaughlin's efforts in trying to sell that particularly awful dad joke because I thought he did his best with it, but it was terrible. <laughs> it was a terrible joke. Terrible joke. I kind of. I kind of. It is. It is obviously in a way. Uh, it is sexist. I suspect they were trying. I suspect they were trying to be progressive about it. See, she's a woman yeah. and she doesn't. She doesn't know how to sew because not all women sew because that's a stereotype. Yeah, which Jeez. they did in the episode. They they right. they made it. They 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 were careful in the episode and good on them for not for not making her the one who can do the sewing, which is fine. The point is, when you make it into a joke at the end, you're drawing attention yeah. to the, the the archetype and that and that's what yeah. you're relying on for the humour. And I don't think that is actually progressive at all. You got anything else? There is one remaining thing which I um, have become quite interested in. The episodes that we've seen so far have been written by just two writers. They've been either Duncan Gould, possibly from a story by Brian Clemens, or Stephen Gallagher. Shotgun Wedding has no writer credit. It's quite strange. No writer credit? No writer credit. And I'm fascinated why that happens when that no happens. screenplay either well what what normally with with this show what you get is episode title comes up on the screen at the beginning and it says then you know written by Stephen Gallagher or written by Duncan Gould from an idea by Brian Clemens shotgun wedding comes up the next credit is series consultant Brian Clemens and that's all we get so hmm. it turns out i think well, I, 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 I did try to just Google who'd written it, and the, and the thing that comes up is actually the novelisation of it is written by Neil Corey. So I thought, oh, well, he's novelised his own screenplay. That's quite common with, you know, all the Doctor Who novelizations and so forth. But then I looked at some of the other novelizations and discovered that in most cases, or in every case I found, the novel had been written by someone that, who was not the author of the original screenplay. So as far as I can find out, this this episode is written by Amanda Coe, who's credited... Uh, the, the, the convincing thing is it's, she's, she's credited as one of the writers on the Carnival Films website. So she certainly has written for Bugs, and she's not, as far as I can tell, credited for anything else. And IMDb have her associated with uh, this episode but it says as an uncredited writer that's interesting so it seems very probable amanda co incidentally is has um is a novelist and screenwriter and still writing quite well-regarded stuff like the recent trial of christine keeler which i didn't see but there was a lot of fuss made about um hmm. but it what's interesting to me is whether there is a story right. behind why she's not credited. Like, did she right. withdraw her name from the script? Did Were the rewrites done on this that she was unhappy with? What were her original ideas? And so on and so forth. And because Bugs is one of these shows that doesn't get a lot of attention, um, doesn't have a kind of cult following with 
websites pouring over the minutiae. I certainly haven't been able to find anything that gives a clue to that. But uh, if any of our listeners have, I would be really interested to know why there is no writer credit for shotgun webbing. All right. What is our next episode of Bugs? It is an episode called Stealth. Stealth. Hmm. I wonder what that is. Hey, there were no shotguns in this episode. It was a wedding. No shotgun. Just, I'm just pointing that out for people trying to figure out the titles. So still, do you not have the Do you not have the term shotgun wedding? We do. We do have the term right, shotgun wedding. Talking. But she's not pregnant, so no, no. No, no. we assume she's not pregnant. Maybe she is. I don't know. I'm keeping a lot of secrets <laughs> in this story. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, Kenneth and I are looking at Star Hunter Redux, episode 17, season 1, a twist in time. See what we think when my dreams are finally granted and then brutally callously, painfully crushed, repeatedly, as Percy dies, yay, and is resurrected, ooh, twice. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. And in many ways, what's going on in Bugs is much more like that, it it, it, it adopts that kind of... Hold on. And we have a we have a, a new contributor to the Fusion Patrol podcast. <laughs> Ollie, yes. <laughs> who is very keen on virtue ethics.